The following program is being brought to you on the Seventh Wave Network. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit SeventhWaveNetwork.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Good afternoon, and welcome to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Over the next hour, you'll learn how to see your true self in the midst of life's twists and turns. You'll be challenged to think outside of the box when it comes to the mysteries of life. Now, here's your host, Andrea Matthews. Good afternoon, and welcome to Authentic Living, brought to you by the American Institute of Holistic Theology. You know, believe it or not, we've all signed on to a mandate to be afraid, to be very afraid. You know, when we were little, we weren't afraid. Your mother and your dad or your foster parents or your whoever your caregivers were had to teach you to be afraid. They had to teach you that the oven was hot and you shouldn't touch it because you were afraid that it would hurt you. You know, I know that when we're standing in the middle of a street and there's a Mack truck coming, our typical response to that is fear, and the fear really is telling us to get out of the street. But wouldn't it be nice to be able to say, you know, I'm not ready to die today, I think I'll get out of the street, without having the extreme fear reaction we typically have when something frightening like that comes into view. Fear is one of those things that drives us. It's like an underground river that compels us. It compels our beliefs. It compels our thoughts. It compels our actions. And we live from that base as if it is the only real truth. If you ask yourself any question, any question at all, whether it's what do you want today, uh, what do you, I mean a serious question, not whether or not you want coffee or tea, but a serious question so that you're asking what do you want in your life? The first response that comes up to that is, well, you know, I can't really have that. And if you peel that back, you're going to find at least some derivative of fear in there. Because we're taught to be afraid that life can't be what we want it to be. We've got lots of gurus and teachers out there telling us today that we can have anything we want and that we need to say affirmations and that we need to talk to ourselves and we need to change our belief systems. And all of that is true. However... At the base, what we need to look at is fear. And typically what we think of is that we need to conquer our fears. Once upon a time, a long time ago, I had someone say to me, you know, when you square off against yourself, you lose. And I've kept that statement because it's been so meaningful to me. Anytime I square off against myself, I lose. There's only me and me in that battle. And one of me is going to lose. So if... If I square off against my fear, I'm going to lose. What happens when we try to say, I will not be afraid, I will not be afraid, I will not be afraid, is that we are so focused on our fear and what happens is that we feel it throughout our body. It becomes sensative, not just emotional, but sensative. In other words, we can feel it in our physical body. So that fear takes a bigger import the more we focus on it and say, I'm going to conquer you. 
and so we lose. It's, it's the, the battle of resistance that sets up its own resistance. It's the victory that, it's our, that is our defeat. We don't conquer our fears. What we do is we listen to them. And once we listen, we begin to understand what they're telling us. The first thing that most of our fears are telling us is you better watch out because death is imminent. You know, that whole base for that, whether, whether you believe what I'm about to say or not, it, it is based in the whole idea of duality. If we don't think in terms of duality, we think in terms of, typically in terms of black and white. We think in terms of absolutes. There's this or there's that. There's one truth or there's a lie. And when we think that way, we eliminate all the other possibilities. So today we're going to be talking about some of those other possibilities. Duality, as we talked about in a previous show, is that state of mind in which we, we uh, square off against ourselves. We are split. We're split into a conscious and an unconscious. We're split into a masculine side, and I don't mean masculine gender. I mean a masculine archetype, a masculine side and a feminine side. We are, we are split off from all kinds of things that we've hidden away in the unconscious. Some of those are our fears. Some of those are things about ourselves that we might not want to know. Some of those things may be our truest self, our truest self. We may have hidden from ourselves the very essential nature of who we are. We, we may not recognize our connection to other people because we've relegated it to the unconscious because we're separate beings. We, we have flesh and blood and we, we can't be one with other people. And so there's a whole lot that we've sort of relegated to the unconscious that if we could remember it would, would bring us to another awareness of who we really are. And so in that split off, in that dualistic frame of reference, what, what we've come to believe is that death is the thing that we're fighting against here on earth. And so living has become reduced to surviving no longer are we thinking in terms of making our lives full and meaningful and, and totally fulfilling who we are in the essence of our beings. Rather, we're thinking in terms of how can I scrape by? How can I make sure I don't die today? How can I make sure that nobody makes me feel like I'm going to die? Those are the, that's the way we live, and it's a baseline. It's a way down bottom line, bottom line of how we think about our lives. And so if we're going to move to another plateau of existence, we have to at least understand that baseline. We don't even know how many of our body movements, our gestures, our, uh, our, the ways that we talk, the words that we say, the, the thoughts that we think, the cellular interactions in our body are related to fear because it's that base. It's that bottom line. It is the basic core of what we think, what we believe about life. And so we call it today, we euphemize it in terms of stress. We say, well, I'm stressed or I'm anxious. But really, if you think about it, we're afraid. When we're stressed, it's because we're afraid of X, Y, and Z. It may not be some big global fear like fear of heights or some phobic response like fear of spiders, but it could be that we're afraid that the boss is going to get mad, so we just keep on working really, really, really hard, and we stress ourselves out. Or we're afraid we're going to get fired, so we work really, really, really hard, so we stress ourselves out. 
or we're afraid that we're not going to get there on time, and so we stress ourselves out getting there on time. I could go on and on. The point is that the bottom line of stress is fear, and the bottom line of anxiety is fear. I have people tell me all the time, well, I'm not afraid, I'm just anxious. Well, no, anxiety is a form of fear. And so we have to recognize that what we're talking about here is fear. And so much of our lives is caught up in that agenda, the agenda of fear that has gotten to be so, so elemental to our nature, to our cellular nature, that we, we respond to it without even knowing we're responding to it. We hold our breath. Have you, ever, have you ever held your breath during the day when you didn't realize you were holding it until you got through and you went, oh, I was holding my breath? That's a response to fear. It's because we're, we're, we're tightening up, we're holding in, we're saying no, we're being afraid. And so we, we react, the body reacts, because fear has been so trained into us that it is now a body function. And so high blood pressure, heart attacks, all, we can name numerous illnesses that are related to what we call stress and what I call fear. And those are all telling us that maybe we need to look at our fears. Maybe we need to ask them some questions. So, okay, so if duality is the base of fear, okay, let's look at this from a sort of theological point of view. If you believe that the story of the Garden of Eden, for example, has some essence of metaphorical truth in it, then it's possible that what happened in the Garden of Eden is that when we ate of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, we incorporated into the body-mind the concept of fear. What God had said previous to that is, if you eat of that tree, you will surely die. Now, in that same garden, within visible distance of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, was the tree of life. We did not eat of that tree. We ate of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Perhaps what we're doing here is we're all having experience with fear, all having experience with duality that creates fear, fear, and perhaps that's what we're here resolving, sort of, sort of like a, a painter would paint a picture and say he put bra puts brown over here and goes, no, I don't like that brown. I think I'll take that off. I think I'll use blue. And sort of that's what we're doing here. We're, we're experimenting with the creative idea of duality. And we have to go all the way through it before we can realize that, no, I think I'd rather have blue. And, and so we are co-creating in that sense. Now, I don't know whether you agree with that or not, but I think you will agree that fear is a, a constant in our lives every day. If, in fact, what I've said is true, that, that we've come here uh, to experience this whole notion of duality and that we've got to see it all the way through, then seeing it through is the name of the game. So, so if we see it through, that means living in the world and learning about our fear and adjusting our mindset to something that is maybe perhaps a bit more true than fear. Since we've been here, since we ate of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, metaphorically speaking, we have feared death because that's what uh, the story tells us, that, that metaphorically we ate of the tree of knowledge of good and evil and then we would surely die. We conceptualize the idea of death at that point in our origins. And so now we die. 
Now, I don't know whether we would die if we hadn't conceived of death or not. I don't know that. Since there's, everybody seems to be dying these days, it doesn't seem very feasible that we could consider the concept that maybe one day we won't die. I think it's possible. I think anything's possible. Um, and, of course, I couldn't prove that scientifically, but more and more people are beginning to question this whole thing of, do we really have? So this whole idea of death is one of those that creates such fear in us that we, we live our lives out of it, and we, we feel like the, uh, the counter to death is survival. So we're going to talk some more about survival in the next segment. We'll be back in just a moment. Awakened Media for a Transforming World. Seventh Wave Network. I begin each day with an intention to be open to guidance, to expect guidance, to trust and appreciate when guidance comes. With these intentions, each day is easier to navigate. Hi, I'm Sonia Choquette. When I decided to trust my guidance and further my education, I chose the American Institute of Holistic Theology, A-I-H-T, with a soulful pathway to deep learning. In my own home, on my own schedule, I earned my Ph.D. in metaphysics. You know, the value of wisdom only grows, and in developing our own gifts, we can help others evolve, too. That's how it works. These self-paced programs in holistic health, metaphysics, holistic ministries, parapsychic science, and holistic theology can embolden your spirit to change the world. And the time has come for us all to do our part in changing the world. So in this moment, call the American Institute of Holistic Theology. The number is 1-800-650-4325. In this moment, visit AIHT.edu. All my love. When I found out my jeans were made using child labor and sweatshops, I wrote a letter to the company saying, reconsider your labor practices. A few months later, I get a letter back saying, thanks for being a loyal customer, and they included a coupon for a 25% discount on their jeans. So I got smart, wrote letters every day to all the stores that carry the brand, asking them to stop supporting the companies who use child labor and sweatshops. And I just kept getting letters back, thanking me for my concerns, and more coupons for more discounts on more jeans. So I'm telling my friend about it, and she flips out, saying that between all the letters and coupons, some paper company cut down a small forest, driving off two indigenous tribes, hundreds of endangered animals, killing thousands of plant species, some of which may have contained vaccines for HIV, cancer, and syphilis. Meanwhile, the guys cutting down the trees are 13-year-old kids who will work night and day for months just to save up enough money to buy a pair of jeans made by child labor in sweatshops. Saving the world isn't easy, but saving a life is. Just one pint of blood can save up to three lives. Visit bloodsaves.com to learn more. This public service announcement was brought to you by the Ad Council. Listening on a higher dimension. Seventh Wave Network. You're listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. We want to hear from you. If you have a question or comment about today's show, call in now, toll free, 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. You can also send your questions or comments by email 
to Andrea at andreamatthewslpc.com. Now, back to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. And we're back with Authentic Living. In the last segment, we talked about fear as, as, uh, as the bottom line sort of of our existence and that we discovered that survival, our need to survive, is based on the concept that at bottom, our biggest fear is the fear of death. And death can be both metaphorical, it can be emotional, it can be psychological, it can be of the death of a relationship, it can ha- take all kinds of forms, but death is the bottom line. And so because we fear death, we have come up with the idea that survival is what we're all about. Darwin said it, survival of the fittest. And we as human animals are trying to survive, and so we've developed competition. And so we've developed an economy that's based upon the survival of the fittest. We, uh, we have developed our, our corporate um, entities and based on the survival of the fittest. We've developed our interactions with other people based on our fear of survival. Well, if somebody is, is, um, is basically going to be someone who will not be my friend, um, perhaps they are out to get me and my survival is at stake. Now, that may be financial survival, it may be emotional survival, it may be psychological survival, but survival is what we're talking about. And so we, have, we formulate these strategies to survive. And while we're busy using up all that energy to survive, we've forgotten how to live. And that is the, the problem with fear. The problem with fear is that it forces us to live in ways under the mandate that if we don't, we will not live, we will, not, we will die. It forces us to live under that mandate, and so we take all of our energy doing that thing. When we think about money, when we pay our bills, when we think about our bank account, currently in our economic crisis, we think about what's going to happen next. We're afraid. We're very afraid. And so we're living out the mandate that says, be afraid, be very afraid. So what I'm talking about today is, well, can we live without fear? Can we, can we become fearless? As Back about 10 years ago, so many teenagers and, and young adults were talking about being fearless, and they developed the T-shirts that said fearless on them, and uh, they went mountain climbing and spelunking, and they decided to be fearless. I even had a client one time who, who took on uh, canoeing as her way of uh, developing a sense of herself, and it worked. So, you know, it's, the truth is that we are, are dealing with something that's way down deep, archetypal. Can we live without fear? Well, I think so. Will we live without fear? I don't know. We may have to work with that a little bit. How do you work with your fear? Well, first, you have to begin to listen to it. You have to hear it. You have to hear it in all of its little nuances throughout a day. If you're paying attention, if you're really tuned into yourself as you walk through your day, you can listen and you can find all the little worms of fear digging around down in there telling you that this bad thing is going to happen or that bad thing is going to happen and, and having you react to that, this or that fear. Somebody comes in and says something to you, and you react. Why? Because you're afraid. We say we get defensive sometimes. When somebody tells us we might have done something wrong, we get defensive. What is that based on? It's based on fear. Um, 
when we're uh, going to the doctor. We, the blood pressure goes up because we're afraid that they're going to find something wrong. You see, these are just some of the more obvious examples, but fear can be niggling around inside your psyche in all kinds of ways that you don't recognize. So to be able to, to listen to it is the first step. And when you're listening, to not say, oh, there's that fear, I wish I could stop being afraid, but rather just to hear it, just to hear it. And, and once you've listened, you begin to understand what it's trying to tell you. It might be telling you about your unhappiness. It might be saying that you're living in a relationship that's not working for you. It might be telling you that um, there's a problem with your finances that perhaps you need to look at and resolve. Or it might be telling you something very irrational. For example, if I'm totally afraid all the time that um, my roof is going to fall on me, and there's been nothing wrong with my roof over the, over the time that I've lived in my house, well, that's probably an irrational fear. So I made that deliberately ridiculous to point out the fact that we do have irrational fears, and they come from the belief systems that tell us certain things are true that perhaps aren't true at all. And so in marriages, for example, in a, in a relationship, we might have, be afraid that the wife or the husband or the partner is, is, is thinking something and so we accuse them of thinking it. And then they say, but I wasn't even thinking that. Where did you get that? Well, that was us coming up with a fear that we just projected onto that other person and said, well, here, here, this is what you're thinking. And that's why and when I do couples therapy, I'm, I'm careful to, to encourage people to listen to the other party instead of deciding for them what they're thinking, assuming what they're thinking. And so that whole process of getting in touch with our fears comes down to really paying attention to who we are, what's going on inside of us in a given moment. Sometimes we're afraid to look at our fear. Our fear of looking at our fear takes over, so we don't really want to go there because we're afraid that what we're going to feel is intense, overwhelming, powerful, life-driving fear. Why do we have that fear? We have that fear because all of our lives we've been told to be afraid. Look before you cross the street. Don't touch that stove. Uh, uh, don't hit Johnny if Johnny's bigger than you. You know, that kind of stuff. So that you, you're, you're, we all have been weaned on fear. So we've got this big base of fear, and so when we start to look at it, we begin to be afraid that once we really look at it, it's going to be really big and really bad and really... Uh, bad breast and heinous and be wear red and have a long pointy tail like the devil. So we don't want to look at it. But if we look at it, if we really look at it and listen to what it's saying and sit beside it and hear it, then we begin to say, okay, some of this fear is giving me a message about my life and some of this fear is giving me a message that's utterly false. Is it true, for example, that I am totally dependent on the economy for my well-being? Is it? Ask yourself that question. Do you really believe that you are totally dependent on the economy for your well-being? Well, most of us would say, oh, no, 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 I don't feel that way because I don't want to think about money and I don't want to be one of those materialistic people and so, I, no, the answer is no, I'm not going to. 
But a lot of that answer is rationalization. If we get honest, some of us really do believe that our well-being is based on the economy. Some of us really do believe that. And where that and where that comes from is we get the message all day, every day, on our TVs and radios, and, and we hear how bad it is. And uh, Dow Jones is down again. One of the things I love about the comedians of today is they can make fun of that and make us laugh about it. And we saw something now. I heard somebody, I think it was Jay Leno the other day, said a joke that, you know, well, we saw something new on the news today. It was a, it was a upward pointing arrow, arrow with regard to the, to Wall Street. So, you know, it, we are we are onslaughted every day with messages that tell us to be afraid, be very afraid, be afraid of what's going on in Iraq, be afraid of, of of uh, Al Qaeda coming over here and and bombing us, be afraid of your neighbor who who might be somebody that you don't really understand, be afraid of. Other races, be afraid of people with other beliefs. Be afraid, be afraid, be afraid, be afraid. And and while we prepare, we are beginning slowly to open up more and more over the past 50 years to other races and other ideals and other beliefs, we have a long, long way to go. But we, Because we've been taught to be afraid. The reason that uh, uh, blacks in America had to fight so hard to be heard, to be given their freedom as they should have, was because so many white people were afraid that black people had something about them that was going to harm white people. Of course that's not true. It was an irrational fear, but it was a fear. And so you see we've based a lot of our cultural uh, mores on fear. I, I grew up in the South and was told that certain religions were, oh, you should not you should not get around those religions. Well, of course, I didn't believe that. I'm glad I didn't. But the, the fear was there. It was being taught to me by my peers who had been taught it by their parents, most likely. We have lots of those kinds of things running around in our psyches that we don't even recognize because we don't want to see it. We don't want to know that we're afraid of other races. We don't want to know that we have fear of other religions. We don't want to know that we are afraid of people that are gay. We don't want to know that that we're afraid that gay and lesbian or GLBT issues will rub off on us if we hang around with gay and lesbian people. We don't want to know that. We don't want to think that way. We don't want to notice our fears because we want to believe that we're intellectual and above that. But guess what? If we go looking, we may find that little thing in there. And it has been causing reactions in us. It has been causing facial expressions and hand gestures and uh, turning our shoulders a certain way. It's been causing all kinds of readable body language that other people get. They know that you're somehow rejecting them, even though your lip service would say you're not. So looking at our fears is extremely important because it's going to help us to, to really look at what's irrational as compared to what's rational. What's irrational about racism it's completely unfounded. It's completely unfounded. And so we have to begin to process some of that information that is inside of us that's been planted in there like a computer chip for ages. And we'll talk some more about that right after the break.
awakened media for a transforming world. Seventh Wave Network. Dad, can I ask you something? Sure. There's this girl I kind of like. Say no more. You just have to impress her. Okay, but how? Just, I don't know, pick up a lot of heavy things around her. Like what? You know, desks, chairs, people. Grunt if you have to. Grunt? Yeah, be like, oh! Uh. There you go. You don't have to be perfect to be a perfect parent. When you adopt a child from foster care, just being there makes all the difference. To learn more, call 1-888-200-4005. A public service announcement brought to you by Adopt US Kids, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, and the Ad Council. I begin each day with an intention to be open to guidance, to expect guidance, to trust and appreciate when guidance comes. With these intentions, each day is easier to navigate. Hi, I'm Sonia Choquette. When I decided to trust my guidance and further my education, I chose the American Institute of Holistic Theology, A-I-H-T, with a soulful pathway to deep learning. In my own home, on my own schedule, I earn my Ph.D. in metaphysics. You know, the value of wisdom only grows, and in developing our own gifts, we can help others evolve, too. That's how it works. These self-paced programs in holistic health, metaphysics, holistic ministries, parapsychic science, and holistic theology can embolden your spirit to change the world. And the time has come for us all to do our part in changing the world. So in this moment, call the American Institute of Holistic Theology. The number is 1-800-650-4325. In this moment, visit A-I-H-T dot E-D-U. All my love. What can you tell me about SkillsUSA? SkillsUSA teaches you employability skills. So you know how to deal with people, you have teamwork, your resume is going to look awesome. Well, it's important to know your technical skills, but not only that, to have soft skills, the skills of learning how to communicate with people. web at skillsusa.org. Awakened media for a transforming world. Seventh Wave Network. You're listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. We want to hear from you. If you have a question or comment about today's show, call in now, toll free. 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. You can also send your questions or comments by email to Andrea at andreamatthewslpc.com. Now, back to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. And we're back this afternoon talking about the mandate to fear. This show is brought to you by the American Institute of Holistic Theology. You know, we were talking in the first segment about how fear can dominate our every move. In the second segment, we talked about why we don't want to look at our fears and and what that presents to us about who we are. What we've discovered is that we can have a lot of fears that are really sort of pushed away because we don't want to know they're there. We want to think of ourselves as the brightest and the best and the most moral and the most ethical and the most responsive and most responsible, and so we don't want to recognize that we have parts of us that fear, for example, other races or fear 
the gay and lesbian culture. We just had Prop 8 uh, accepted again yesterday, and, and so I, my belief is that that's a homophobic response. It's a fear response, and, and so we've seen our legal system uphold that. We, what we're saying here is that fear can dominate an entire culture. It doesn't just dominate the individual. It can dominate an entire culture. And it can do it through little nuances of meaning, little fears that just captivate our imagination and we go off. And a lot of those fears are completely irrational. So, okay, how do you deal with an irrational fear? An irrational fear is one that makes no sense. It's, it's not rational. So if I'm afraid, like I said a little while ago, with my ridiculous fear that, that the roof of my house will fall in, when there's been nothing wrong with my roof, no leaks, no nothing, then I'm dominated by an irrational fear, and we have lots of those. One of those, as I said before the break, is racism. So how do you deal with, with irrational fears? We do something that uh, clinically is called systematic desensitization. That's one of the things we can do. That means we slowly begin to expose ourselves to the fear in a systematic fashion so that we we begin to tolerate it more and we begin to accept it more and we begin to say, okay, I can, maybe I can be okay with this. So if I've got a fear of a mountain, I mean, excuse me, if I've got fear of heights, then what I might do is, is go to a place that is fairly high and stay way back from the edge and move just a few steps closer. And any time I want to move back, well, I'm going to move back because my fear has taken over. So... So I might take three steps forward and two steps back, but I've, that means in the total that day I've taken one step. So we come back again and do the next thing the next day and the next day and the next day and the next day, and finally what's happening is I'm getting closer to the edge. I may not decide to go stand on the edge of that mountain because I, that fear may just be overwhelming to me, but at least I can get closer. At least I can tolerate it better. At least I begin to say to myself, you know, standing on the edge of the mountain is not going to hurt me as long as I'm not falling off, okay? So we begin to really trust that it, the fear is irrational and it doesn't need to be behaved out of dangling participle there, but we don't need to be behaving, behaving out of our fears, our irrational fears. So desensitizing ourselves to our fears is like changing the path that the rat has to take in the maze to get fed. What happens in our brains once fear has become the dominant force is that we make a path. That thought makes a path, a groove, if you will, through your brain. And every time a certain stimulus hits it, we go down that same path to the same result, which is be afraid, be very afraid. What we're doing when we systematically desensitize ourselves is that we are saying, no, let me see if I can find a new groove here. Let me see if I can find a new groove, a more rational one. And slowly over time, what we begin to do is we begin to not be so afraid. So that is the process. How is it that we have come to understand that as white people that we should not be afraid of black people? We've exposed ourselves to them, and we've come to understand that they're human beings as we are human beings with all the same complexes and 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 fears and desires and aches and pains and heartbreaks that we have. And that's how we changed it. As long as we can stay at a distance from our fear, we don't have to really deal with it. 
and it controls us. In the same way, we are going to be able eventually to accept gays and lesbians, bisexuals, transgendered people into our culture as a part of just part and parcel of who we are as a human, as humanity. Because, why? Because we have associated with them. We have systematically desensitized ourselves to these people who have the same exact needs, wants, desires, fears, complexes, and heartbreaks that we all do. And so we're going to be able to understand that this is just another way of being. Instead of, oh, this is something that I should fear, out of some kind of moral base, moral base being based in fear. So that, that's how we des typically desensitize ourselves to our fear. So, okay, what if a fear isn't irrational? What if it is rational? What if, in fact, I put my hand in the fire, it does burn me? Well, as we live here on this earth, that's pretty true. We, we are matter, and fire will burn us. Um, if we're standing in the middle of the street and the Mack truck can't stop, well, we're probably going to get hit, hit. These are the realities of our lives. And those fears that come up really are associated with a thought that says something more authentic than just be afraid, be very afraid. So if I'm standing in the middle of the street and there's a Mack truck coming, I've got a thought, separate and distinct from my fear, a thought that says, oh, there's a truck coming, let me get out of the street because I don't want to die today. That's not fear, it's a desire to live. There's a difference. Fear says, oh my God, there's a truck coming and I have to get out of the street now. And, and yes, fear may make us react faster or it may re make us react slower. And we're not sure which all the time. So I certainly have known and you have known people who are, are panicking, who can't think straight about how to respond to a given situation. Panic can do that. It can make us unable to just do anything. You may have seen people in a particular crisis become literally paralyzed, glued to the floor, unable to budge because they're so afraid and they can't think. Fear has just taken over and then they'll know what else to do except be afraid, be very afraid. So fear is not necessarily a helper in those situations. However, probably we're not going to think much about that at that moment. We're probably not going to be deciding, oh, I'm not going to feel that fear. I think I'll just feel my desire to get out of the street. You'll get out of the street. You're, you're, hopefully you'll just respond and get out of the street. In that same sense, <clears throat> excuse me, then we can begin to say, all right, I've got this fear that I'm going to lose my job. Okay, let me listen to that fear. Is it possible that I'm going to lose my job? Well, if I look around my particular place of employment, I might learn that there are some economic problems. And given the economic crisis this time, there may be some issues with employment. There may be some layoffs in the, in the future if there haven't already been. If there have already been, then my fear is already talking to me about perhaps I need to be looking around to see what else is out there. So, okay, that's a rational fear. It's possible that you're going to lose your job. That's a possibility. So what can you do about that? You can listen to the fear. You can let it become a response, not a reaction. There's a difference between a reaction and a response. Reactions, in, from my way of looking at it, are, are connotated as, as um, quick, impulsive, and very often inaccurate responses to a given situation. Responses, on the other hand, are much more responsible. They respond from our ability to respond 
to something with accuracy, with forethought, with a plan. So reactionary, reactionary impulses aren't necessarily going to be drive us to the right decision. Sometimes they do, but lots of times they won't. If we want to respond, however, to a given fear, we'll say, okay, what are the things that I can do? I've got this particular job, and I've got this kind of experience, but does that mean I can only do this job and only in this field? Are there ways that these subsets of skills that I've got can be transferable? Let me think about that. Let me create for myself uh, options that will alleviate some of my fear, A, and also give me some plans of action that I can begin to implement. So then I've listened to my fear, and I've pay paid enough attention to what it's telling me to be able to respond to it effectively. Then fear becomes our friend. Then it's just another message. And as we begin to listen to it, the fear response slows. We've, in the process of listening to our fear, we have systematically desensitized ourselves to the fear so that we begin to um, tolerate it more. We begin to say, I can be beside my fear and not run away. And so that is a kind of toler tolerance for our own internal fear that allows us to sit with it, listen to it, and respond to it. And as we do that over the years, fear subsides or at least decreases in our lives. It doesn't become the dominant force because it's, it's either been determined to be irrational and we change our belief systems by working with it, or it's, it's rational, but it's really based on a deeper desire to make my life meaningful, not just survive, but really make my life meaningful. And I'm going to stay with the idea of changing jobs since we have this economic crisis right now. You know, if, if we have a crisis like that, if we do lose a job, very often I find that people begin to use that time as a time to explore who they really are what they really want to do. Now, sometimes we don't do that. Sometimes we just get stuck. Well, there's only one job I can do. I am an electrician, and that's all I can do. And there's no electrician jobs out there, so I guess I'm just going to be unemployed. That's one way of thinking about it. But there are others, and we'll talk some more about that right after the break. Awakened Media for a Transforming World. Seventh Wave Network. I begin each day with an intention to be open to guidance, to expect guidance, to trust and appreciate when guidance comes. With these intentions, each day is easier to navigate. Hi, I'm Sonia Choquette. When I decided to trust my guidance and further my education, I chose the American Institute of Holistic Theology, A-I-H-T, with a soulful pathway to deep learning. In my own home, on my own schedule, I earn my PhD in metaphysics. You know, the value of wisdom only grows, and in developing our own gifts, we can help others evolve too. That's how it works. These self-paced programs in holistic health, metaphysics, holistic ministries, parapsychic science, and holistic theology can embolden your spirit to change the world. And the time has come for us all to do our part in changing the world. So in this moment, call the American Institute of Holistic Theology. The number is 
650-4325. In this moment, visit AIHT.edu. All my love. Over there? Over there's the water. Whoosh, whoosh. And look at all this stuff I'm standing on. It's called sand, and it's everywhere. This woman may sound silly to you and me. It's made up of little tiny pieces of rocks. Teeny little pieces of rocks. But to her two-year-old son exploring the world around him, <laughs> she makes perfect sense. How does it feel when you touch the sand? Is it warm? Uh-huh. It's hard to hold in your hand, isn't it? Uh-huh. Learning starts long before school does, and children are naturally curious. They want to learn, so follow their lead. Take simple, everyday moments, like sorting laundry or playing on the beach, and turn them into learning moments. Is this water? No. Very good. This is sand. Oh, no, no, it's not food. It's sand. We don't eat sand. <laughs> Turn everyday moments into learning moments. Find out how at PornLearnings.org. Brought to you by United Way and the Ad Council. Taking you to the threshold of a dream and beyond. Seventh Wave Network. You're listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. We want to hear from you. If you have a question or comment about today's show, call in now, toll free, 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. You can also send your questions or comments by email to Andrea at andreamatthewslpc.com. Now, back to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. And this is our last segment to be able to talk about fear as a mandate for our lives. What we've discovered in the last uh, in the last 45 minutes of the show has been that we have been mandated to fear based upon old ancient archetypal beliefs about survival and that it has gone down to the deepest levels of our existence and is even cellular at this point so that we react to fear without even knowing we're reacting to fear. And what we've talked about doing with that is getting conscious, raising our consciousness about fear so that it becomes something that we, we are very aware of, its subtle influence. We are, we are aware of when it is uh, causing us to react. We are aware of the subtle ways that we think and the subtle things that we believe that really are fear-based. And so we become very comfortable in the inner terrain of our own psyches. And as we're doing that, what we're doing is systematically desensitizing ourselves to fear so that we become, become much more comfortable in its presence so that we don't run from it every time it looks at us. And, and we can begin to listen to it. And as we listen to it, it can tell us one of two things. It can be a very rational fear that's giving us some direction for our lives, or it can be a very irrational fear that's blocking us from having a meaningful life. And so anytime there's an irrational fear in your life, there is some block to you being able to have the life you really want. That in and of itself is a reason to discover your fear, to discover where it blocks you. Does it block you from friends? Does it block you from uh, uh, primary partnerships? Does it block you from being able to have the career you want? Does it block you from being able to say what you really need? Does it block you from being able to be in the presence of other people? 
Does it block you from sleeping at night? Does it block you from eating well? Does it block you from staying healthy? These are the numerous blocks that fear can give us, and they keep us from having a meaningful, fulfilling life. You see, I have a theory that we came here, each one of us came here for the specific purpose of fulfilling ourselves. We've, each one of us has a specific set of very unique little buttons and tabs and little treasures and, and uh, our own little oceans inside of ourselves that need expression, that need to be swum in, swim, swam, swum in. They need to be able, we need to be able to live in that interior region of ourselves and pull out its meaning and live in that. And so it's kind of like saying, well, I came as a, here as a pine tree, but I really would like to be an oak because, you know, those oaks, they're really pretty in the fall and stuff, and they lose their leaves and they come back and, you know, all that. But I'm a pine tree. I'm here to fulfill my life as a pine tree. I'm not here to be an oak. So that's, a, that's kind of what I'm saying, metaphorically, that each one of us has an individual, specific, um, ingrained truth about who we are that is meant to be fulfilled. That's my theory. Whether you agree with it or not, I think you will agree that fear is far too prevalent in everyone's life and that it does block us from many, many of the activities and relationships that we could have that are meaningful and, and, and really joyful. Sometimes we can't even experience joy at all because under the surface of our everyday routine there's a fear that if we just relax and enjoy life, then something bad's going to happen. And so we just won't. We don't laugh as much. We don't have as much fun. We don't really experience uh, what's around us, breathing in and out, uh, looking at a rose, looking at some trees, looking in the eyes of someone else. We don't experience those things because we're busy with our fear. Even in the little ways of, of everyday living, we're missing out. We're being blocked because of our fear. But if we can stop and listen to what it has to say to us and learn to sit beside it, then we have systematically desensitized ourselves to it to the point where we can tolerate it and listen to it and respond appropriately to what it has to say. For example, if you had a child that came in to see you right now, a child you really love, that came in to see you right now and said to you, I'm really scared to death that lightning is going to um, come in my window and, and hit my bed at night, even though... I know that my bed is far away from the window. Well, you would probably tell that child that that's not likely to happen. That's rare, very, if ever, it's hardly ever happened. Or perhaps your child will come to you and say, there's a monster in my closet. You're going to comfort the child. You're going to sit with the child. You're not going to say, don't be stupid, go to your room. You're going you're gonna to say, I want to sit with you. I want to help you through this. Maybe you'll get a broom and push the monster out of the closet because imagination works for children. You will help that child. Typically speaking, you're going to help that child. In that same way, when you've got a fear, if you can sit down beside it and listen to it and respond to it, then you're going to help yourself to not only desensitize yourself to your rational fears so that you can get beyond them, but also listen to the fears that are rational so that you can hear what they have to say to you about your life and maybe Create a whole new path for yourself in some given area, a career, a relationship, whatever. 
So it's important that we begin to really allow fear to come to the surface, to be recognized, to be understood, to be named, to be listened to. And in, in that process, we begin to become more whole individuals. The reason we are split off into conscious and unconscious, as I said at the beginning of the show, is because one part of us says that there's a way I have to be in the world or else I won't survive, either emotionally, physically, psychologically, or otherwise, I won't survive. There's a, uh, there, there's a persona I have to put on and wear out in the world or I won't make it. People won't like me. I'll be abandoned. I won't have any money. I won't have any food. That's what we think. So we split off from all the parts of us, we think, that are going to keep us from having those things. If I, if I uh, am afraid, then uh, Joey will think I'm stupid and he'll laugh at me, so I won't let myself know that I'm afraid. And that becomes a response to every fear we have. I just don't want to know I've got it. And the more we push it down into the unconscious, the more, the bigger it becomes, in, at least in our imaginations. So that we pile it in and pile it in and pile it in, and then we're afraid to go there because it seems like it would be so big it would be overwhelming. But it doesn't have to be taken in in those big gulps. We can take it in in little ways all throughout a day so that we can begin to just become conscious. So are you afraid? Probably. If you're a human being, you're afraid. Uh, do you have to follow the mandate of fear? Absolutely not. You don't have to follow the mandate of fear. You can allow fear to become a part of your everyday recognition rather than the dominant force in your life. And the more unconscious you are of your fears, the more it dominates you. Yes, that's true. Carl Jung was one of the, one of the first people to recognize that the more we repress something, the more control it has over us. The more we push it away, the more it sneaks out in little ways that we don't even recognize and controls our lives. For example, if I'm angry and I tell myself I'm not, then it's going to sneak out in little sarcastic comments throughout the day. Or it may sneak out in some kind of uh, subversive martyrdom about myself. You see, it sneaks out. And we may not even recognize that it's sneaking out. Sometimes our peers do. Sometimes our friends and, and, and primary relationships do recognize it but often we don't. So it's important to, to, to the repression is not going to work. It's important to begin to say to ourselves, repression is not going to be how I handle this. Now, how do you stop repressing? You begin to pay attention. You just sit with yourself and listen. That's what raising our consciousness is all about. So I, I wish you well in that process of being able to raise your consciousness level of living that surviving. Next week, we're going to be talking to Michael Murdad about his book, You're Not Going Crazy, Just Waking Up. And remember, your job, should you choose to accept it, is to give birth to yourself. Talk to you next week. Thanks again for listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Join us again next Wednesday afternoon at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern Time here on the 7th Wave Network. We'll talk again next week.
Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Seventh Wave Network. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit SeventhWaveNetwork.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.